All right, Josh Smith here, live in my Flat 5 studios. Today's my guest is uh, a new friend, but someone I've admired for a long time. Uh, just a pro prolific <laughs> musician. Man, I've been following you, God, 20 years, more than that. I just wow. remember seeing how hard you you always worked, which was something that's important to me. You were always putting in the effort and time to have your own bands, your own work, but then you were out producing, you were touring, playing Psyman, but you were always made time for your own stuff, which was really influential for me, honestly, because when I moved out here to L.A., I had given up on my own thing and was just going to do the Sideman thing. And there was guys like you who, who kind of showed me, man, you could do all of this at the same time. You could produce records and, you know, put out your own records and still do sessions and, and do Sideman stuff. So, dude, I'm a huge fan of your playing. I'm glad that we've connected now and that you live out here. Hopefully we get to do more together. But everybody, please welcome Eric Krasnow. Ah, oh, man, thank you so much for that intro. Um, and I have to say, you're one of my favorite players. Uh, I know we'd met in, in a couple capacities, but when I really kind of in the last couple of years found you actually through a good friend of mine, Danny Mayer, and when, and, uh, he showed me some of your videos and I started following you and then kind of went down the rabbit hole and I was like, man, this is a dude has so much taste in his playing and so much soul in his playing and so much technical ability. I just love when all those things combine you know and you really have your own voice but uh um really respect your playing and like your choices as a player thanks man that's really kind of you man i you know i feel like you and i have a lot of similarities to probably our upbringings to some degree and you know the way we got started and the way we've gone about things but i kind of start all these by asking everybody the family history, because for me, I, I don't have a very musical family. Certainly nobody plays guitar. Uh, it was really random how the guitar ended up in my hands. How did the guitar end up in your hands first? Well, I, I definitely had a musical family, um, like music was around. My grandfather played uh, violin and piano, um, played like gypsy music primarily. He actually made records. He was a surgeon, but he also made records and later in his life got more serious about music. But music was always a huge part of his life. My dad was a casual musician, um, but had jam sessions at the house and stuff. So there was guitars around. Um, I took some like violin lessons as a young child. Um, but So I have an older brother though that's, that's five and a half years older. And it wasn't until really he started having bands and playing like they would play in the basement and jam and there started to be a setup down there and that's when i really wanted to hang it was really about like wanting to hang with the older kids and mm -hmm. and i went down there and started messing around when they'd be playing and they'd be like hey man you got to like practice first you know <laughs> so um you know i had this little rig in my room that was like a record player and un, like, and I don't know if you ever remember these. I think I can't remember what brand it was, Sherwood or something like that. But you could plug in. It had an input as well as a headphone out, and it had a tape deck, yeah. so I could play like Led Zeppelin records, play along. I mean, it sounded horrible. It was an input, so no amp or anything. It was just like on like a guitar with two strings missing, and I could play along and record myself. <laughs> so this was like, you know, I mean, it sounds so basic, but as a kid, that was the coolest thing ever, you know? So I like started being able to play along with records and that really was it, man. I would play along with records and I remember coming back to the basement 
and I think I came down there and started playing do 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 don't go don't go do as many of us have probably had a similar experience. But Led yeah. Zeppelin was really it for me. It was like Led Zeppelin, and then that bled into Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and like the Grateful Dead and so many different things. It was just like this gateway. And I was just became kind of obsessed, you know, and uh, then I had like my my few close friends and we would trade records and trade tapes and uh, make mixes for each other. And it just became this like world that um, I couldn't really imagine living without, you know, it's kind of just was everything from then on, you know. Yeah, the obsession is is real and it takes over fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the record player thing the recording thing is funny that you said that so i had a sony stereo that was i wanted it more than anything for my bar mitzvah was to get a big tall stereo with the glass door you know and so i got it and it could do i didn't have an input for guitar but it had like a i think it had like a built-in microphone it was like for voiceover or something like that right and i i did the same i would put my amp tilted towards it my little gorilla practice yeah. amp i had the same i had a gorilla fire into yeah. it and play over hendrix and allman brothers and bb king and you know and yeah. just play along but dude think about like all those hours on the edge of your bed i mean so you had your brother and older guys down in the basement playing yeah. that you were it was almost like you had a goal to get down there and play with those guys absolutely which which even pushed you quicker but man, I, I mean, the, the countless hours on the end of the bed, that's what I hear and what I think back to the most. When I when I look at all the guys that we are contemporaries with and we see and, 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 and whatever, just in general, I just see the hours, man, the hours on the end of the bed playing. It's yeah. never ending. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then got into recording too. I mean, I really, I can track it back to that and then having like the double tape deck and recording myself and that evolved into getting like a little four track and i was always obsessed with records um and reading my dad had a pretty big record collection and i was so um interested in in what people did you know like what does a producer do what does the engineer do who wrote the songs what is the writing process like i was so into that and reading the credits and who played on what oh and this guy also played on this record and you know that was how i would find different things and um you know it was like the never-ending rabbit hole (laughs) from there you know and then i I was always into producing i always wanted to learn about that um and when i went to school that was my focus was like i really wanted to i wanted to play but I kind of saw this path of producing and, and making records as this really cool thing I wanted to do. And then Soul Live kind of just happened right? Um, and took me on this other path. But it was cool because when, when Soul Live, you know, I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but when Soul Live got to work in the studio and got signed to Blue Note, we got to work with all these amazing people. And that I, was such, that was like better than, any sort of school in terms of producing and and being in a all of a sudden to be in like avatar power station and be working with basie bob and and fred wesley arranging the horns i was like 23 years old and getting to work with like all the best in their field bob power and like uh i just soaked it up man it was like i got to 
go to school with the best guys. And I was the first guy there, the last guy to leave. I wanted to learn about uh, the board and every compressor and everything that was there. Um, and uh, that was huge for me because then I got to just kind of build these 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 skills um you know slowly but surely but like got to you know work with the best guys which was such yeah. a blessing man well so okay so before you went to college what was i mean what was like the teen the high school years like do you have a lot of friends who were who were playing that you were hanging out with were you doing any gigs uh during that time or, or was there any music in school even during that time? so I, I went to a very small school it was a boarding school in vermont you know, my parents split when I was pretty young. They okay. were both very, very career driven. Um, and uh, I ended up going to a school called the Putney School in Vermont in the middle of nowhere. And okay. it was a very artsy school, but the music program was pretty small. Um, but what they did was they let us do these big projects like they, they'd have like instead of exam week, they had project week where you had to do an academic project and, and a creative project. So early on in there, I got, I basically let them, they kind of gave me this studio room. There wasn't really any equipment in it, but I, you know, found random equipment from different places. The four track became an eight track cassette and I find an old mixing board. I had like this weird Tascam eight channel mixer. And I just started like building this weird little quirky studio, but um, there weren't a lot of musicians around. I remember my, my roommate at the time, wasn't really a drummer but had a drum kit and just the fact that he had a drum kit he became my drummer right. <laughs> you know what i mean and like he played like you know double kick like metal at first you know or that's what he had had the kit for but then he was like oh like and i play him herbie hancock records and <laughs> stuff like that and like we became we were like a really bad funk band you know but what i got to do was i got to learn about making songs and making recordings because even though a lot of it was just me like i would eke out a drum part and play bass and play guitar and try to sing or whatever and um so i I'd, I'd say that in those days i really got to do that and then i got i went to the five-week program at berkeley one of the summers in high school and that's where i met the lettuce guys so right. that was when i found like my guys you know I, I was like oh man there's other 16 year olds that are this into music and they're way better than me <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like i remember meeting adam deitch and i was and and adam smirnoff and those guys and and uh, eric coombs and ryan zoitis that was like the nucleus of the band lettuce and uh we met in the summer of 92 and uh we were kids little kids and i just couldn't believe there was other kids like me you know, because in my town growing up or at the school I went to, there was kids that were like messing around with music, but not like the way they were. You know, they, you know, they were unbelievably talented. And that's when I and also they schooled me on music because they all of a sudden it was like Zoidus played me every Tower Power record. Deitch was super into like Earth, Wind and Fire, you know what I mean? And and learning about uh we all had the, the the common thread was Herbie Hancock. We were all like obsessed with Headhunters, Thrust, and that whole era of Herbie in the funk years. Right. And we were just obsessed with it. So we just started playing together and jamming together. And that's when I caught the bug of like, okay, I want to be in a band, yeah. you know, too. You know, at that, but previous to that, I was like, oh, I want to make records or I want to like, but then I was like, oh man, being in a band, there's nothing like it. Uh, so, 
like dude i can't imagine like at that age finding guys so like-minded you know because it's like like you said where i grew up yeah big city you know fort lauderdale miami plenty of musicians my age even in my middle school and high school but they certainly were not listening to bb king and charlie yeah. parker and grant green you know what i mean and earth wind and fire right. they were listening to nirvana and metallica you know what i mean right. like that's all that's what was hip at the time and so when I would get together with guys my age, I couldn't relate musically in any way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And in fact, like, when I met Derek Trucks, he was one of the first guys I met my age who was, like, into the music I liked. And he right. was already gigging. So it was like, also, it was like, man, well, you should just forget about playing with guys your age. Just go, go gig, you know, because <laughs> I saw yeah. him do it. Yeah. But, dude, I can't imagine how great that must have felt to, like, wander into berkeley during that summer break and find yeah a bunch of guys your age and just you all end up influencing each other and pushing each other i mean the craziest thing is that those are the guys i still play with and talk to and are you know we work together to this day you know which is so crazy if you think if you know 30 years later almost um those are my guys so uh, I was very fortunate to to meet them, and they pushed me. I mean, I, that summer I went from like not knowing anything to being like, oh, okay, I can play, or I can at least like get by, you know. Right. Um, and that was very much due to them schooling me. You know, it's different when you have peers pushing you versus like teachers. You know what I yeah. mean? And of course, it's important to have both. But when you have peers that are like your friends and like you're you push each other constantly you know what i mean it's like i just was watching this um the three two one mccartney i don't know mm -hmm. if you've seen that on hulu i haven't it's, started it's, it yet dude just... it's so good rick rubin and, and mccartney and mccartney has this one scene where he's like oh man you know me john and george would we'd learn a new chord and we'd show it to the other guy so we always knew the next guy and someone had to learn learn a new chord and show that and he was telling and he was like i was at a music store and this like jazz guy played this chord and i made him teach it to me i went back and i showed it to the other guys and it was a sharp nine and then he goes and then he was he wrote um uh, michelle like off of that chord kind of wow. which i never even realized that was a sharp nine actually but uh and that was such a cool story to me because i could to so relate to that like oh man i got a new chord and i'm gonna play it all the time now you know and yeah. then showing that to the homies and then like schmeens like me and him show each other so many things you know he would show me all because he had such incredible rhythm chops and he could move chords everywhere you know and I, he would always show me something and then i would like practice it for days but i'd always have to come back with something new to show him you know <laughs> and that was like this thing that it's such a cool way to challenge yourself when you have you know people around you like that you know yeah. So, so then, what happens then after that summer program when you go back to Vermont, you know, to that school? I, I was so we at the end of that summer, we all basically were like, all right, we're gonna come here. We were all the same age, except Zoidis was a year older. So we all decided. Oh, actually, him and Schmeens, I th and Smirnoff, but we all decided we were gonna go to Berkeley when we graduated high school. And mm -hmm. I didn't really. It was before cell phones and email and all that. So sure. we, I wasn't even really in touch with them. But when we came back in '94, fall '94, we all were there, and we were all in the same dorm. So wow. yeah, I I had stayed in touch with Adam Deitch. I think I'd went to his house the next year. or can't remember the timeline exactly but i know that we all ended up in school there um and that's when we kind of 
started the band. I mean, it wasn't really a band till me- like a real band till many years later, but that's what we started playing local gigs at like frats and basement parties and house mm-hmm. parties and stuff like that. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, think back to no cell phones and no email. It's like, <laughs> how do you keep in touch with with yeah. all those guys as they scatter around the country? Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, crazy. Man, so what did your parents think? You know, because they, they probably were very supportive in general, but when 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 not just the summer program Berkeley is the thing, it's like, okay, now I'm going to go to Berkeley. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Were they super into it or cautious, you know? I would say a little cautious, but for the most part, I couldn't have ended up with a better situation in terms of support. My mom was an artist, visual artist, and my dad has always been in education, but his dad was a musician, you know, and he loved music. I mean, my dad is very music musical. He just, it kind of wasn't an option for him when he was a kid to become a musician, but he was like, he played piano, mandolin, and so like he appreciated it all so much so yeah i mean they were very supportive i've always been very fortunate in that way and um yeah i went to school i went to berkeley first i ended up leaving berkeley and going to hampshire college is where i studied and i studied with a guy named Youssef latif there which was amazing for me um and then uh pretty much right when i graduated we formed soul live the year my senior year um of college so like right when i graduated we like hit the road so i I was fortunate in that way that i didn't have the like okay what do i do now thing it was kind of like as soon as i was you know able to hit the road i did uh in fact really before we were already like you know doing shows like three four nights a week and um so yeah it was a it was a pretty quick after that to like just playing shows all the time and you know those were the days of like you know just grinding it in the van and yeah we just you know we didn't care we just wanted to play well yeah i mean that that time when you're young and you don't have a lot of responsibility yeah. and it doesn't take a lot of money to live you know and yeah also you're kind of bulletproof like you can stay up all night and drive all day and not get tired and you know like yeah, I, I yeah. miss that, but also I really don't miss that at all, you know, like Yeah, yeah. But but you get so much I mean, and you grow just leaps and bounds once you start doing that stuff. Yeah, those everything. yeah, those were the years. Man, it's so funny because I listened back, we just released like our first session ever. Because the very first time Soul Live got together, Alan and Neil had already formed the band. And mm. um but the very, they only played one gig with the other guy. They had ended up they had a vibraphone player originally, and I was at the first gig because I was friends with them already, and I sat in. And then that guy left the band like shortly after. They booked all these shows, and they were like, "Man, you know, you want to come out here to Woodstock where they they had like a house with a little studio, and play." And that first day, I had a couple tune idea song ideas. They had some songs. We had a little ADAP machine. We recorded ourselves playing, and that is our first EP that we like toured off of and became an album. And we ended up re-releasing that on vinyl recently. And I listened back to myself, and it was just like, oh my god, I can't. <laughs> like, like because then, I, like even a year later, or not even, we made Turn It Out, which is like the album that. I've listened to at least. And like that one has Schofield on it and O'Teal Burbridge and all like that one, like we were really a band, but the difference 
between that first session and just being on the road, like, I don't know, seven, eight months was night and day. I mean, just my playing, my choices, my tone. I mean, I still would change a lot from that latter record, but um, it's, yeah, man, there's no, there's nothing like being out on the road, like shed, like there, you, obviously I, I, shedding is great. Training in every way is great, but playing gigs, there's just nothing like it. Dude, it's, it's, and, and especially when you're young and yeah. fertile, I guess, you know, it, yeah. it happens so fast. So during pandemic, I've been digitizing. My parents sent me boxes of VHSs of all my gigs from oh, 13 wow. to 20, you know what I mean? And like literally hundreds of them because I played so many gigs, but I've been just like picking choice ones and digitizing them into my computer. And it, it's, it's like every three months I sound like a different player. Wow. And I, it's crazy watching the progression go, but it's because we were so obsessed with it. And, and it was every waking moment, every little second was spent bettering ourselves. And, and yeah, like you said, the amount of gigs you guys played, there's no substitute. Like it's not yeah. the same as shedding or, you know, doing any, even rehearsing. It's not the same. It's like when yeah. you just play a bunch of gigs, you can't help but grow so fast. It's crazy. And then <laughs> the funny thing, too, is like I can't play some of the shit I was playing <laughs> at the height of that stuff. The other night, um, this guy sent me a video of me playing with the Benevento Russo duo and like 20 uh-huh. something years ago. And it's right when Soul Live was torn all the time. And also I was just playing more like more notes. You know, I was playing yeah. more like bebop stuff. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I will say I think I make better choices now. But there was like some stuff in the video where I'm like, I could never play that now. Like this like run, these runs, I was like, I don't know if I'd want to either. But right. like, <laughs> it's just funny. Like I was just playing all the time. I mean, I still love to play and I play every day. But it's just different, you know, it's different now. It is different. Responsibilities, you know, we got kids, we got things, you know. Well, well, certainly that changes things. So from, okay, so this is an interesting thing for me. So where we split, I think somewhere is I, I was doing all that stuff, blues, in the van, you know, no responsibilities, kicking my ass, just trying to make it happen. And then I got married and I had a kid pretty young. And that's yeah. when I moved here to L.A., with the purpose, you know, of, hey, I'm going to just be a working guitar player. I'm going to go get a job, get a gig, tour, do sessions. And it worked out, which is fortunate, but it did change my path a lot. It made me a better musician, and I I learned a whole bunch of skills that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. But, But it was different than kind of staying doing your own thing. When you guys had that band, well, really two bands, but especially Soul Live for so long... That was like your singular focus. How did you find it when you kind of started to shift off into doing more of the production and the session stuff that you started to do? Was it was it natural or did it feel like you were like cheating on the band or something? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I was doing it all along, actually. Okay. But a lot of people don't know because, I mean, honestly, before social media, too, it was kind of like, Right. No one. It's funny how like me doing a podcast, all of a sudden people are like, oh, man, you produce records. I'm like, yeah, I've been producing records <laughs> for 25 years. But yeah, I mean, I, I made a bunch of records in those early years that Soul Live was was touring. I mean, of course, it wasn't like my number one thing, but 
did a lot of hip hop stuff. I mean, I was doing a lot of hip hop sessions, some pop records and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you know, it never was really, there was a time like really in 2005, 2006, that was when I had to kind of make a choice. And I moved to LA for a little while during that time. I just done a song for 50 cents record, which was a huge record. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was getting in with all these people at Interscope and was like, contemplating signing this deal with them um as a producer and um i remember i was like kind of in like the waiting period of meeting with dr dre to kind of take the seat of like being one of the guys in his camp and uh but it also required me signing something and long story short i had to leave to go back to a soul live tour and that time soul live was doing pretty well like i mean we were i think our that run we were doing like 9 30 club in dc irving plaza it was like a new year's run a lot of them were sold out shows and uh i left and i because and then finally they were like okay we need you for this session and i had been waiting for days that was and you know how that works it's like yeah. especially in those days people would pay for studio time for weeks I'd yeah. be there and no one would be working, you know? Meanwhile, I'm in a band where like, okay, we got studio for a day. we got a, a 10 tunes, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, I'm here. I'm early. I got my coffee. I'm waiting. And, and uh, by like day three or four, I had to leave. And they did not understand the fact that I was in, I was like, they were like, well, get a sub for your gig. I'm like, no, that's, this is my band. I, you're like, there's no sub. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. no, there's no sub for this band. There's three of us. So uh, I remember that moment making that decision of being like, okay, you know, do I want to be, and, and I, and I think being a producer is like the greatest thing in the world, but I, I kind of got to this moment where I was like, do I want to like wait on other people to do shit all the time? Or do I want to like go where people appreciate me for doing what I, cause like they could replace me on that session easily, sure. but I couldn't get, I was not replaceable in my band. You know, and I remember that was like a kind of a defining moment for me because I kind of came back to the East Coast and I was like, okay, I'm going to be in my bands and do my thing. And also I want to be a producer, but I want to be producing things that because also when I found when I moved to L.A. and I don't think I think this is probably unique to my situation, but a lot of the sessions were not really fulfilling to me. You know, it wasn't like the music I wanted to be making, you know, it was kind of like. And they didn't care. There wasn't a lot of love for, for what I was doing. I mean, it, I mean, people were, once I had a, a song that was like hitting, they were like, they were like, all right, we fuck with you. But it also was kind of like, oh, you can't do that. All right, next, you know? So I just remember being kind of like, okay, you know, if I'm going to like build up my, my, you know, production credits, it's going to be in my own path and it's going to have to be shit that I really love and i also really loved the art of making an album you know and making a, a whole record and at that time people were hiring producers to do cuts you know it was yeah. all about getting it and so i remember that was when we formed royal family records i signed nigel produced nigel's record uh, we ended ended up calling it feel records because we couldn't get the name royal family long story but and then i started producing like the london souls and bands that i was fine that i was finding that were playing clubs or not even playing clubs and i like was passionate about what they were doing that people didn't know um right. and that that was like something that meant a lot to me because i was helping them you know define their sound you know, versus like trying to like get in on something that was really hot and like trying to be the, you know, trying to break through 
you know, where all yeah. these other producers were lined up. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of been my MO ever since. I mean, I, I got to produce Aaron Neville's record and a bunch of other things kind of from that, but I needed my calling card first. You know what I mean? I needed to be like, okay, I produced these records. This is how they sound. And, right. um, and then I kind of started making my own records because I was like, you know, I, I was writing so many songs for people and I was doing the demos and kind of squeaking out these vocals for the demos, but then people started kind of encouraging me to, and being like, well, these demos are, why don't you just record these songs? These are your songs, you know? So when I made Blood From A Stone, that record was really made up of songs that initially I thought other people were going to sing. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I can sing these. Um, and then it's been kind of a an evolution or a kind of a learning process since then of just making my own records. And uh, there's, it's, it's been very, it's been great. And then building bands around that um, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. I mean, I remember going out on tour after blood from a stone came out, kind of expecting people to know the music and everybody in the crowd was like, play us all live. (laughs) So I had to, it's been a years of like, kind of like working this stuff out and, you know, trying to build an audience and, and, um, also just build up my skills, you know, as a songwriter, as a, as a singer. And I still don't consider myself a great singer, but, um, you know, really just trying to create a vibe. That's the whole thing. It's like, and you know, this, it's like not about singing acrobatic licks. It's about bringing something that's your own thing. You know, can you put it across or not? You know, exactly. Exactly. I mean, so how do you balance it now? Like, you know, when you're, I mean, obviously we're in a weird time now with the pandemic, yeah. so it's all moot anyways, but, you know, when you're planning your schedule normally, you know, and you've got whatever, whether it be soul live stuff or lettuce stuff or your own solo stuff and records, do you just let it all kind of take care of itself and the projects that pre- get presented to you, you schedule what ha- what comes or do you kind of try to split your year in a certain way? Man, I wish I had a science to it. Um, but, um, I, you know, I think in the last couple of years I've started to prioritize and, you know, I'm, I have a record coming out in, um, well, we just pushed it back beginning of next year and, Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, I'm going to tour behind that record and I'm kind of like mapping out how to hit the whole country over a a series of months. And, uh, so that's really the priority for me at the moment. And then I have like, I, I do musical directing gigs where I've got like kind of three or four of those I do a year that I work with a few different uh, production companies. And those are great. And I get to do those and, and kind of map those out throughout the year. So I kind of have like my things that are like defined for the year. Like I always, I, I want to do a, a tour behind, you know, if I have a record coming out or with my band. And then Soul Live does very little, but we kind of map our stuff out pretty far in advance too. Um, we could do like, you know, three nights and we, we kind of do the like two, three nights in one city type of thing. So we're never really on the road. We fly in, we do three shows and we're home and we won't have another gig for months usually. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of has whittled itself down to those three kind of things, you know, and I don't tour with lettuce anymore. Lettuce kind of in the, in the mid two thousands started ramping up their touring to like full time for the band. And that's when I, 
and we're all on good terms and it's all oh, yeah. love. I mean, I still make you can only the, do so much, man. Yeah. But at that point I was starting to produce a lot and, and actually, and I also ended up going out on the road with Tedeschi trucks playing, play, playing bass during that time. So it was like, there was just a lot going on. And, uh, but I, I mean, those are my boys and I still, I still made a lot. Of, I'm not on the most recent record, but you know, I still made records with them after that. Um, yeah. And then as far as producing, man, I just, um, you know, during the pandemic started figuring out a little bit of a rhythm with certain people where we do like zoom writing and then certain pe- I had a couple people that were like in my pod that I like worked with in my studio, but for the most part did satellite recording. And I work with a guy named Otis McDonald, who's a really great engineer, drummer, producer, kind of multi-instrumentalist. And he and I have been working a ton uh, with each other. We, we use this thing called pedal, which allows us to like have like here are full on, you know, high, high def audio from our studios ran through with, and we can video. And right. so uh, it's almost in real time. Like it's great for mixing and editing. Uh, um, if I can't like record with him playing drums, like and me playing guitar live, yeah, course, yeah. but we have like a thing that, that works he'll put down the drum track. I'll put a bass track down and it's become a thing that works. We did my whole record that my newest record that way. Um, and then we're producing a few other artists right now, um, which has been working really well. It's kind of weird because we were like, Oh man, we can't wait till we can actually be in a room together. And then like fast forward six months. And we're like, we could be in a room together, but this is kind of nice because I'm in my flip flops and my sweatpants in my backyard, <laughs> and so are you. And <laughs> so this is kind of easy, you know. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's crazy because it's it's something that I've had to over the last four or five years kind of figure out how to balance out the producing thing with with my own thing. Yeah. And I still I really struggle with like splitting the year because. It's so hard to, like you said, like if you're going to put out a record and try to book a tour, to make that work around when people want to make records and right. need to make records. And it's like, well, I really like making those records and I need the money and yeah. it's fun and all that. It's so hard to balance out. It's something I'm still kind of coming to grips with and figuring it out. Honestly, every day is a different uh like one day i'm like oh i just want to make records and the next day i want to play but i think at the end of the day both of us are in a good predicament in terms of because i really what what i have realized is that i need a little bit of both you know what i mean um and if i can balance it in a way where i'm not killing myself and staying as healthy as i can and spending time with the family um you know that's that's uh important i think the biggest thing for me is kind of plotting plotting it out with enough time where i can like be reasonable with it you know <laughs> well and i and and the un the unsaid thing is dude like even the record you just sent it to me so i haven't listened yeah. yet yeah, but yeah. i know i can guarantee without even listening you wouldn't have made the record you just made for yourself if you hadn't yeah. produced and done all the other things you've done the last whatever five ten years because it's yeah. made you better at every step of the the chain and that's Absolutely. that's the thing i really enjoy the most about the producing is like man i learned something on every one of these records not just about how to get the best record for the artist that i'm producing but stuff that just makes me way better at being me and brings yeah. new shit to my game and I, that's so fun like i love that aspect of it oh definitely i mean i think working with different people all the time that combined with challenging yourself to find new sounds i mean that's why I love producing so much. You get to kind of like 
go to a place musically that you never would otherwise, you know, working with new artists and yeah, it's, it's, that's such an exciting, like hitting playback on something that you're creating, like right when it gets to that moment of like where it really gets there, there's nothing like that feeling, man. There's nothing like that feeling. There, there really isn't, man. It's, it's, it's a great feeling. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into the 10 questions. All right, let's do it. All right. Number one, man, when you first started learning and playing, do you remember the first riff or lick or something that you got under your fingers that once you kind of, it came out correctly, it's like, we all know that feeling. I can't believe I did this. That's it. No going yeah. back. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick one. I mean, I know exactly what it is. I've always known what it was and it's kind of the classic. I feel like it's Wayne's world, but uh, over the hills and far away by Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah. I felt like that one was so meant for my finger. Like I, it was just one of those ones. It was like with the open G and that's why I was so into Jimmy page because I, not only did I love what he did, but I could like, I felt like I could pull it off. Not that yeah. I could pull off like the super complex shit right away, but it was like, it was like, he was like soulful, but sloppy, but like came up with the coolest parts. So oh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's it. That's the first one. Yeah. That would be one. Like, I mean, because it's not even just, a, it's, that's like so such a part. It's a song. I mean, all in its own. Yeah. And yeah. yeah I can imagine getting that under your fingers right away and just being like, it's like a magic trick. It's like you learned a magic trick. Yeah. Also, it's a great joke for dad because once I played it 500 times, he goes, can you do that over the hills and far away? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I had to throw a dad joke in. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So then along those same lines, do you remember the first solo that you ever learned note for note or that turned you out so much that you uh, had to learn it, you know? Man, which one is it? That's a good question because I feel like there was a few around that same time. But, you know, um, Jerry Garcia, I think it's from Fire on the Mountain. Okay. Is that one that goes, it's like all Mixolydian. And I was like, oh, what is that? That scat, you know, it kind of introduced me to Mixolydian. So I think that's the, the, the song from Fire on the Mountain, the, the solo in there. What's amazing about the solos are it could be 20 years removed from when you learned it and you may have never played it again yeah and it doesn't matter like 10 give spend 10 seconds of effort kind of thinking about it again and it comes right back like yeah. mine is besides like some bb king stuff and albert king the yeah. one that it doesn't matter how many years go by between when i played or don't is uh fucking angus young you shook me all night long. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember learning that like so early, probably ten years old. You know. What I yeah, mean? yeah. The other one I remember, and I never, I couldn't pull off like the whole thing, but the intro piece to Heartbreaker. You know, yeah. Which really is like probably it's kind of like a Fred, it's like kind of a Freddie King lick, right? Or like, it's like a, I don't know where he got that from, but then he goes into the, you know, yeah. thing. But that beginning was so powerful and it's just him, you know, that moment. Yeah. It is kind of a Freddie King thing. Yeah. Now that you say it. At least the very beginning of the it. The very yeah. beginning. Yeah. All right. Number three, what's the first thing you play when you pick up a guitar? Do your hands just autopilot go somewhere? 
Um, yeah, I kind of have a couple things. Well, it depends if I'm checking out an amp. Like I kind of have this like sound check kind of thing that I do. That's yeah. like not something I ever play in a gig. It's kind of like well, it's like a majory kind of off of a Stevie Ray Lenny kind of thing that I do. Mm-hmm. That like kind of just to hear the resonance of the amp and feel like where it's gonna go. I could know within like half a second if it's like gonna be if I'm gonna have a good relationship with the amp or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can tell or I can tell right away if it's gonna be good. I'll tell you that much. You know, yeah. and then yeah, and then you know a lot of times I'm battling with backline amps, unfortunately. But oh, dude, we all have that thing on backline amps when we first hit standby and yeah. play something in it you know within four seconds like yeah. no nope, this is gonna suck you know yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 what about like if you're in a music store and you want to check a guitar maybe even just unplug yeah. to see if it's kind of got something how, how quickly do you know if you, it's something you'll dig or not oh yeah i know pretty quick i can i can tell like from the neck um if i'm gonna dig it sometimes you know it really depends on what I'm trying to get out of it, but uh, yeah, I can know if I'm going to be in love with it real fast. Real fast. Yeah. Without plugging it in. Definitely without plugging it in. Yeah, normally the thing is. All right, number four. What key, style, song, groove, whatever, is kind of like your personal narration? While you're just like, whatever, if you're cooking eggs or you're walking down the street. So I've I've got a swing or a shuffle pretty much that lives in my head 24 hours a day you know yeah. and i'm i'm swinging and b flat i just hear it all the time what what most often pops <laughs> that's in that's really funny that's so funny because i don't I, that's always happening in my mind but i never talk about that but uh um yeah i mean it's basically soul serenade you know okay yeah. Like the one to the four. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just always there. You know, the one yeah. to the four is just always going on in my head. You know what I mean? And that's like life. It's like the one to the four. And then you and then from there is like all the like accoutrement. But you need the yeah. the one to the four is just that's where we're you know, that's the meat and potatoes. Funny, man. It's it's for me it's like Sometimes when I'm going to bed, it gets the loudest in my head, like when I lay down. Yeah. And I cannot, like, shut off until I, like, finish my improvisation in yeah. my head. You know what I mean? That is so funny. So I'm not alone. That's You're a beautiful not thing. I'm always, like, scales are always... I was talking to I, my same friend that I was talking about earlier, Danny Mayer. Like, we were all, we were talking about that because... I, I, when I was in, in Philly recently, I had to learn a bunch of these songs for the O'Teal and Friends gig. And it was like the day before. And uh, it was a lot of songs that I kind of knew. But there was like a bunch of harder ones. And there was a bunch of Almond Brothers songs that, you know, I've, I've been in my head since I was a kid, but I never played them. You know? Right, sure. And he was like, how the hell did you learn that so fast? And I'm like, oh, because I like basically play this scale in my head constantly, you know, and then like no, just knowing where it is. You know, I can like I I kind of that that cycle you're talking about. It, it helps me learn like basically because we listened on the way down, uh, the drive down. I was listening to the playlist of the songs, but I hadn't had my guitar out. But then when I had my guitar out, I I didn't have to really learn it. I mean, I ha- it, it was good that I mapped it real fast, but it was yeah. already in here because I'm always doing that. I'm always like well, even just that. You know, 
that one four having that one four go back yeah. you end up getting so strong at intervallic relationships to anything between those two chords it's yeah. like it doesn't matter what you're listening to in the in the car or whatever i'm immediately relating it to that so yeah. when it when it goes boom boom up to a six minor or whatever and man i remember like my first sessions here in la kind of coming to the realization that i was I'm a little more prepared than I thought I was actually. Yeah. Just from that, just from like, okay, you know, and I'd never done it before, but I I could have them put on the track and write my own chart very fast and know what was going on, even though it yeah. wasn't something I'd ever done before. And it's a hundred percent from that 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 just nonstop narration. Yeah, I think you're right. And then you learn these relative because I don't have perfect pitch, but that because of that weird obsessive mind thing, my relativity is always pretty much on. And like you're saying, so if I'm on a session, I can pretty much follow along without having to, you know, sit down and map it, um, yep. you know, and also in a weird way, I was never a good sight reader in terms of no, like I, I as far as reading like lead sheets, I'm fine, but I always, I, I'm always way faster to hear it and play it back. You know, mm -hmm. and it's funny because I have to do a lot of gigs where there's where, you know, or a few gigs a year where there's parts and they're written out. And uh, I'm always just like, let me hear it, you know, and I, I, I kind of in a certain way, not being good at reading has helped my ear, you know, or at least that's what I tell myself <laughs> um, because I have to do it so often at this point that, you know, learning a part, it's just got to it's just got to come, you know. But For yeah, sure. I think I do, I do attest a lot of that to kind of like, just like, like you're saying, when I'm cooking eggs or walking my dog and there's just music kind of happening. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as an aside to that question, then when you hear a piece of music you've never heard before, do you ever kind of pay attention to what your first thought is? Is it the melody, the groove, is it what would I be playing right now on top of this? Like, what's your what's your normal initial reaction? I guess it depends how the song starts, but I'm always thinking about melody, and, you know, I'm always thinking about the next song I want to write, too. Okay. So a lot of times I'll be like, oh, man, that melody is cool. So, I yeah, I, I, I you know, I think it's different all the time. It's whatever speaks me to that song, but... Yeah. Um, or sometimes I'll be like, oh, man, I want to write a song with that groove. You know, I actually was listening to the, uh, Leon Bridges new album today and there was like one song that came on and I was like, oh, man, I've been wanting to write a song with that groove. You know, and I went to my voice memo and just beatboxed the groove. Nice. You know? And I'm sure the song will com be completely different once it comes to fruition, if it ever does. Right. But sure. but yeah, the songs that I like get inspired by, I usually pick out something about it and then the really great stuff you're like oh man that lyric with that melody combined is just amazing you know so i think it's honestly it's hard to answer that question because i feel like it's okay. different every single time yeah yeah all right number five when did you feel like you started to find uh, your personal voice on guitar like was there any clear moments of hey this this is something a little different i'm gonna go further this way you know oh that's interesting um, you know, I, th I think there was like a time period, there was an album called up here that soul live made. And then another one called then that, and then in that same area era, we did us, uh, uh, the Beatles, uh, rubber soul live. 
Right. And in that era, of, I started like because in the beginning of Soul Live, I was very much like trying to fill the shoes of like what I thought was supposed to be right for that band. I was like, Oregon okay. Trio, okay, I gotta like really get my like Grant Green kind of thing, and I'm gonna. Inc-. I was always trying to do my own thing with it, but there was a time where I said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna like let all of my influences out." You know, because I grew up on Hendrix and Stevie Ray and rock and roll. And there was a, and so like I remember that like era in time where Soul Live started just like opening the floodgates. That was also like when Neil was like, fuck it, I'm going to play clavinet. I'm going to have a big ass bass stack. And we had to remember we had like, incorporated lights into the show and we got more, way more psychedelic and rock and roll. And I feel like during that time, I just was like, developed a sound that to me was was more me than it was before (laughs) and i think like i'm always evolving i think on my newest album i've found something that's more um expressive in terms of like i i'm playing less but saying more yeah i think that's something that just happens as you get older you know you learn to say more with less and so i think that's a constant uh, learning curve and a constant evolution. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you definitely say more with less, or or you say you just say it more directly, even if it's yeah. a longer sentence. Still, <laughs> you said it more simply. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, crazy man. It's interesting. It's like we build up, especially okay for someone who's played for as long as you have, and and I guess as long as I have, and have done a lot. For me, I had a lot of, as a kid, boxing myself into like, okay, if I play blues, I only play this. If I play jazz, I only play this. You know, if I play whatever, R&B, you're not allowed to cross these things together. And it was like all of a sudden moments of just like, this is bullshit. Like, just play at whatever you're hearing, you know, whenever. And that's when I, yeah, when I started to feel like, oh, now I just sound like me. Not exactly. like I'm trying to be fucking the perfect Cornell Dupree on this song and the perfect John Schofield on this song and the perfect B.B. Yeah. King on this song. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, number six. What do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar? Oh, that's a good one. You know... Sometimes I can't pull off what I'm here, what I'm, what I'm thinking. And that's really a matter of shedding. It's like, I know when I like right now, I haven't been playing this past week. So sometimes like, it just takes me a little while to get the rust off. Like when I'm, when I've been playing every day, what's in my head will flow better to my fingers. But sometimes there's just blockage. You know what I mean? That's one thing. And then sometimes you know, playing rhythm guitar while I'm singing is a challenge for me. I'm really bad at it. <laughs> and like, I'm not quite cool enough to be BB King and just not, you know. Uh, so that's something that I've been wanting to get better at. And like, that's the thing I've, I'd say during quarantine, that's the thing I've been shedding the most is nice. like playing my songs by myself. Like, I go back to when I was a kid, my grandfather was always like because i would sit there in the corner playing guitar and he knew i was super into it and he was like 
He's like, all day, all day, you play guitar, you play, play me a song, goddammit. Sing me a song, you know? And I would always be like, uh, I don't really do that, you know? And, like, I think about that now, and I'm like, you know, that is important. Like, I want to be able to sit down in front of – with a group of people and play songs for a few hours and not be like, what am I going to do? I want to be able to, like, entertain people by myself. So that's been kind of like a, a thing for the last few years that I like want to get better at and start doing more of just playing like solo sets, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that you don't, you cannot even realize that it's something you've never done because it's yeah. something you don't even think about. You know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. I can count on one hand, the amount of solo, like full shows I've ever done. Yeah. Right. You do little things at a radio station or one yeah. song in the set or this little thing, but like, yeah, to go on stage and play 90 minutes, just a guitar and me and sing each song. I I've never done it ever. It's also really. the most nerve wracking thing you could ever do. I always end up bringing someone in the last minute. I'm always like, I've booked a handful of them and always I'm like, actually I'm bringing this like bon like bongo player. <laughs> yeah. I bring my friend to play acoustic with me. Um, I did a couple of zoom sets over court over lockdown or quarantine where um, I had to do it. And that kind of like jump started me being like, okay, I should be able to do this. I should be able to sit down and play for an hour and a half, two hours and entertain people, you know? So, yeah, it was funny when I first started singing, I was in the first like real band I was in was a quartet. And when I started singing, you know, it was terrible. I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, but I kind of knew I needed to start trying anyways. But I didn't realize I wasn't really playing rhythm when I would sing because yeah. there was another guy there playing keys or he played yeah. keys and guitar. He was like a utility cat. So when when I turned 17 and that guy left and it became a trio, all of a sudden, I realized, holy shit, I can't play and sing at the same time. We sound empty when I'm singing. Right. You know what right. I mean? And it was like definitely necessity is the mother of you. You, you know, you <laughs> had to drove yeah. that like until I oh now I now it's something I'm obsessive about. Like I get yeah. mad at myself if there's parts from the record that I can't play and sing at the same time. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, number seven. Who's a huge influence on your guitar playing that people would be surprised by? Oh, I may have to think about that one for a second. Yeah, this might sound kind of weird, but and people hate this guy's guitar playing, but I like I think Neil Young is a badass. Oh yeah. Like yeah. more tone and like swagger wise. Oh definitely swagger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I could have picked a lot of people. That one's just been on my mind because I just saw this documentary. I've seen a lot of documentaries in the past few months, as oh. in case you haven't noticed. Yeah. Um, but there's one called 1971, and it mm. talks about the whole creation of the the, of the song Ohio and the whole thing yeah. that happened in Kent. And it, it got me into a whole crowd. Just those Nash and, and Young specifically. Because um, I grew up on that record, Deja Vu. My mom was like a huge fan of CSN and CSNY. So, and then that Harvest record has been like back in my rotation recently. And there's some guitar shit on that record where it's like, it's also just something I would never really, a lot of the shit he does, like I just wouldn't naturally go to. Right. So it's, it, but it, but it's fucking cool. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a supreme confidence there. Yeah. What, yeah. No matter what he's playing, which is, I always thought that was cool. Like, yeah, he was just yeah. kind of like, 
fuck this, you know, like, you know, this is what yeah. I do. Yeah, know? exactly. Which is really, I, I love that. <laughs> all right, that's a good one. Uh, all right, eight. We kind of talked about this already, but on a gig, would you rather be stuck with a great guitar and a shitty amp or a great amp and a shitty guitar? Oh, man, that's hard. I think just because of what I've gone through in my life with shitty amps, I'm going to go great amp, shitty guitar. I'm the same. You know, just because I deal with – well, you know what it is? And Schofield actually was someone who, like, taught me this. Is that? And he – for him, it kind of relates to either or. So it wouldn't really um, influence my answer. But he finds ways – like I remember we we did this gig and the backline amp was like fucking up making some weird fart noise and he was using it in his shit. He was like do 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 brat do do brat brat and he was like and he was like oh man like I've been through so much shit you can't ever get pissed you just got to use it you know yeah. and that was such huh. a great thing to learn because like I used to get so pissed when my gear wasn't right or if a pedal broke and if something yeah. and like, I remember like that was a turning point for me. I was like, man, Schofield is the one of the greatest of all time. He still deals with that shit, but he lets it roll off and just works with it and makes it part of his thing, you know? And I've yeah. always had that, that I, my attitude has gotten so much better in the later years of like, Oh, I got a shit amp. Oh, that's funny. Let's see how we deal with this. Like, I still am pissed about it, you know, <laughs> but I'll like work. I won't, it won't like ruin my fucking night. You know what I mean? Okay. I'll make it work. I'll make it work. Uh, uh, hopefully it works at all, you know, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, I would rather, you know, I, I don't know. There's something about, I kind of like shitty guitars. I know that's, that might sound fucking weird, but yep. like, it depends how shitty, like if I can yeah. get, as long as I can get all the notes out of it, all the strings yeah. like work. Yeah. 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 I'm with you a hundred percent. It's like, I'll have a much better gig with a good amp and some headroom yeah. and a tone. That's okay. Yeah. And whatever yeah. guitar, as opposed to my, even my personal guitar yeah. and some amp that just is, is you can't possibly get anything good out of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Number nine, what keeps you motivated to grow as a guitar player? Like what, what pushes you to keep like sitting down and actually putting in the time to work on new stuff? You know, when it, it'd be easy to just sink into, we got plenty of work going on and things going on. What keeps you shedding? You know, well, first off, I really want, I need to shed more. It's like something I've been like telling myself in recent, in these recent, actually a few months, but one, but you know, honestly, hearing other players play, like, he, like when I heard you play at that Donovan show, I was like, man, there's some things that, that I need to learn from this dude, you know? And I, that, that, that happens all the time, you know, like Eric Gales, like I watched some video of Eric Gales the other night and it made me like start shedding this, like that whole step ladder thing that he does. And I'm like, okay, I need to incorporate that into my playing. So yeah, it's, sometimes it's, sometimes it's just like hearing people that you admire, um, you know, I sometimes that can also uh, discourage you. I've never had that attitude really, though. I've always been like, when I hear great players, it makes me want to play. I know some people like hear great players and it makes them run away from their guitar. <laughs> um, but for me, it makes me want to play. It makes me excited. It makes me excited about possibilities, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. I've The same, I've never kind of gotten discouraged from watching. You know, it's like, yeah, I could watch 
Julian Lage and go, oh, I'll never do that. You know yeah. what I mean? But no, instead, it makes me want to play my guitar, you know? And, yeah. and it doesn't matter if I will never do that. I'll yeah. do something, you know? I'll pick up one little thing from, from what I just listened to, you know? And I, I think guys can sometimes get it in their head like that it's bad, you know, to be content. It's not bad to, like, be happy with what you have and, and to be okay with, like, not knowing something. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Like, I, I'm okay with the fact that I can't play like Yngwie Malmsteen. If right. I wanted to, I've proven it to myself. I can, I'm willing to put in the time, so obviously it's not that important to me. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And I again, man, it's one of those things, like, as you get older, you add things to your toolbox, but you're also, like, aware of, like, where you where you what your voice is and you're confident in your voice and but also you want to you know you know learn new linguistics you know but uh yeah i agree that i think at this point you know there's certain things i can take away from like hearing george benson like blow over jazz changes of course i don't i'm never going to be that but there's certain things i'll take away from that and that i could be like oh you know i could incorporate this little twist or this little turn you know um and I love that about guitar. It's like endless. There's endless options. There's endless um, inspiration, you know? Oh, yeah. And literally daily, the, the spark gets lit over yeah. on something. Yeah. Something happens, and it makes me want to play guitar every yeah, day. Man. Yeah. All right. Well, that leads us to number 10 then. Where do you want to be in five years? Like, are you a guy who makes plans and sets goals and that stuff's important? Or is it more just keep on keeping on and see what happens, you know? That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'd say I'm kind of a combination of the two. Um, you know, having a, a, a young child kind of changes that a little, as you probably oh, yeah. know. And, uh, you know, I want to, like, have a comfortable living for the and, and a comfortable living space for my family. So I'd say, like, you know, I, at, at the very – at the – at the very top of my, you know, priority list is to do things that I love, you know what I mean? And that, and to eliminate the things that I don't love. And I think part of that is figuring out what those things are. Yeah. I think that's the, you know what I mean? And that's something that I'm always learning is like, now it's a lot easier for me. Like when a, when an offer or a gig comes in or something, it's a lot easier for me to determine now, if it's going to be fun for me, if it's going to be creatively fulfilling, if it's going to be challenging in the right ways. Um, so there, I, that I think really it's, it's just about creating more things that I love to do, man. And like creating, uh, more records as a solo artist. Like I'm already working on the record that's not out. And, um, sure. I have a lot of like specific projects, but um really just want to make records and and do shows that i love and that i'm really proud of you know it's, it sounds very basic but and also like you know create a comfortable living I, you know for me I, I don't want to make bazillions of dollars and then be stressed out day to day um trying to maintain all the things that come along with that you know yeah. it took me a long time to figure that out um that like I, the universe gives you exactly what you can handle. Like that's a real thing, you know? So, Oh yeah. yeah I think, I, mean, I think day to day happiness is absolute number one. A hundred percent. Like, dude, if you can find any way to really, you know, enjoy what you do, that is still 
responsible enough for you to handle your business with now they have a family which is what i figured out i was like oh can i still do something i like and not put my family in jeopardy well then i won i already won like that's the best thing i could do you know and then just making that better all the time without making (laughs) making it the other way yeah yeah cool man well dude that's it we reached the end of the 10 questions i'll put links to everything eric krasno in the description of this video um and if you're a ruler, hang on, we'll do turn two. And if you're not a ruler, you should become one or at least subscribe to the channel. But, dude, thank you for doing this, man. A pleasure to, Absolutely, to talk man. to you and hear oh, your It's story. a pleasure, man. I, I really want to uh, either invite you over here or I'll come over there and do like a little hang and play sesh. Let's do it, man. Yeah, let's do it. I'm around for a little while. I've just I've got a couple gigs in the next month or two, but let's we'll make a plan. No, I'm around. I'm around. All right. All right, everybody. We'll be right back. (laughs) Thanks. Ruling, dude.